just happening. Just, just when it rains, it pours. Yes. Your steps. Her name is Linda. Linka. Elinka. I've never heard that. Elinka. Okay, we'll pray for them. A lot of a lot of things going on. This is a tough time of year, and we're just in a very, just a, a very testing time right now. Yes, Doug. Okay. Oh, the woman she's bringing. Okay. 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 So we'll pray for. What's her name? You don't know her name. That's fine. Yeah. Okay. Anybody else have anything? Let's take these to the Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your grace and your mercy. Lord, you see all of the suffering that's around us, Lord God, and you are touched with the feelings of our infirmities. I just pray right now that you would bring the healing balm of Gilead, Lord God, that that you would move and that you would touch, Lord God, bodies that are racked with pain, Lord God. I pray, Father, that your grace would go forth and you would strengthen and that you would uphold those, Lord God, in the midst of struggle. It's so hard to see the end, Lord God, when you're in the midst of the storm. I just pray, Lord, that you would, that you would mend the brokenhearted, that you would give us comfort, Lord God, as only you can, Lord. I thank you, Lord God, that you carried our grief and you bore our sorrow, Lord. We praise you, Lord God, for we know that this earth is not our home, but we are only passing through, Lord God. I pray, Father, that you would give us strength for today, Lord God, and that you would give us wisdom for tomorrow, Lord, and that most of all, Lord God, that you would be allow us to be led in constant peace and let joy erupt in our soul, Lord God, as a, as a medicine against all of the sorrow that's around us, Lord. We thank you today and ask that you would open your word, Lord God. Open our hearts to receive. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Glad to see y'all all here. You getting your Christmas shopping done? Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm, little, little by little, I know. That's the way it goes. We're going to start this morning, if you wouldn't mind, turning in your Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, still talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. There's just so much. I'm just kind of weaving through and just sort of moving about kind of as the Spirit. You know, I'm like the, the wind is driving me. So this is a, I may talk about bridal identification or relationship one week, and who knows what it'll be the next week. I've got so many notes and so many different things. I, got, I didn't even bring my notebook because I wrote this so long ago. I just got coffee-stained notes here. So... If anybody saw my notes, they would think, how in the world do you interpret that? That's why you are, Dennis? That's what Tawana, yeah, it's, it's incomprehensible to an average person. But we geniuses, we get it. <laughs> Mad geniuses, that's all right, we don't care, it's all right. So as we talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, this chapter in, in 1 Corinthians is, you can't talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and not read this. And so... I'm, I'm going to start out, it's a short chapter, so you can just indulge me. Are y'all there yet? If you're not, you can just listen along. It says, when I came to you, Paul speaking to the church at Corinth, and if you know anything about the church at Corinth, they were not the most spiritual group of people, right? They were a group of people that, that they were involved in all kinds of carnality and sin and just, you know... They were just unsavory, and the way they treated one another was, was wrong, and, 
and just the, their ideas about about the liberty with grace and and how they could how they could demonstrate their witness to the world was just off. And so here Paul, he's beginning, and I, I love, he says, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come with excellence of speech or wisdom proclaiming to you the mystery of God. For I decided to know, um, I, I decided not to know about anything among you <laughs> except Jesus the Messiah and him crucified. Can you imagine? He said, when I came to you. Now, let's understand this. Paul, the apostle, would have probably been in league with the greatest minds of his day. I mean, now when he says he was, he was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, that he was touching the law, he was blameless, and that he was rising faster in the, in the, the Jewish church than any person his age. What he's saying there is, I was somebody. Now, he was, he was very educated, and he was extraordinarily good at the apologetics. In other words, arguing scripture. Now, he was also raised in the Greek-speaking world, where the Greeks, if you know anything about the Greeks, what was the, what was the greatest accomplishment for a Greek? Wisdom of the mind knowledge and understanding, where you get, of course, the Greek philosophers like Plato or who else? What did you say? Socrates, Aristotle, right? That was all about, we, I mean, the Greek mind, the, the Greeks elevated the mind to the place of, of really high status. And now we have the Corinthian church here. See, they're in the midst of that Greek culture, Right? But isn't it interesting that when Paul went to that church in Corinth, he said, I decided not to come to you with my great ability of oration. And he had it. He was trained in the art of rhetoric. How many of you have taken debate? I did too. I got kicked out of debate. True story. For arguing with the teacher. I thought that was what we were supposed to do. I took it because it was like, debate, yes. You know, and I argued about everything, I, you know. But, but when you take debate, they teach you how to present a case and how to give the evidence to win the case, right? Now, in my dream world, what I would always wanted to be was a litigating attorney. Because I wanted to argue for, and I'm, I'm one of those people, you can ask Mike, he, I, will, I will take a position and I will argue for it. And then in a moment, I can switch and argue the other side. Yes. <laughs> My mother told me I would argue with the fence post. She said you would argue with the lampshade if it would just nod a little bit. Now, that's not entirely true. I'm passionate, and I believe that, that, you know, everything can be discussed. So, but, you know, Paul, he would be no match. No, none of us would be any match for his powers of rhetoric. I hope you understand that. that if you ever talk to someone, and, you, and they're very good at persuasive speech, 
I mean, they can just, and you say anything, and they can, they can take it and move it. That's how Paul was. Now, imagine that he's coming to this church, and what did he make a decision to do? Not to bring. And that, now, how do you just, he didn't bring that tool bag with him. Or he just left that tool in the bag. Now, that's, that's pretty impressive to me, that a person who has great strength can holster it. For the glory of God. Isn't that good? Because we're not taught to be that way, are we? We're taught to come forth and put your best foot forward and show people what you got. You never get a second chance to make a first impression. See, all this is wisdom of the world. And we put ourselves in that position and we think, I mean, it's all do this and you'll get that and you'll go and people will, will respect you and they'll applaud you. And Paul said, I came in and I said, I decided not to know anything but Jesus Christ and him crucified. He's not saying that he didn't have a whole lot of repertoire, say the word for me. Yeah, that word, that he could pull from. He's saying, I chose not to razzle-dazzle you with how smart I was. How many of you like to be impressed with somebody's cerebral intelligence? No, look at that. There's no hand that went up. How many of you see it from a mile away when someone is, when someone is trying to, you know, give you all their... Extra, extra. <laughs> you know, we don't like it, do we? I know, but it's, it's, that's really funny. So Paul said, I decided to not to know anything about among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. I, you know, I, want, I don't really understand that statement. Do y'all know? What do y'all think it means? I was with you in weakness and in fear, and in much trembling. You think he knew his own weaknesses? Yeah, and that he, what, that's good, that he was aware of his weaknesses. Who else? Michael, do you have something? Well, make it make sense. Don't start out saying, I'm going to sound dumb. Well, and not, you know what, with his fasting or whatever, and it could be, could be, I mean, if you read about the whole of Paul's life, I mean, he had been stoned. I don't know if that, you know, we just have in our mind, I think I do, that he just, you know, when he was stoned and, and just brought outside the city of Ephesus, is that right, Mike? Do you know? Yeah, it was outside the city, he was drugged outside the city as if he were dead. When you stone someone, you don't stone them to bruise them, you stone them to death. Now, let's just imagine the stoning process. And they he was so beaten with rocks that he appeared dead. Now, how many of y'all think that probably was pretty brutal? And they drug him outside the city, and it says that the Lord touched him, and he got up and he walked back into the city. How many of y'all think, now in my mind, I just, I, you know, I've seen too many Disney fairy tale movies. You know what I mean? Where the land, the tear of the princess drops on the prince and the whole land is, you know, turned into a beautiful place, right? But how many of you think that that's probably, how many of you think that Paul, 
And he says it himself, I have, I bear in my body the marks of Jesus Christ. How many of you think that from his stoning and from his, his persecution that he had been very much altered in his physical man? You think so? Yep. That's true. Good point. I may be going to a lion's den. Right, that's true. Good point. Yes, Mike. He's purposely decreasing himself in humility. And he, when he says that when I was with you, it was a fear and trembling. There, I mean, I believe there could have been some physicalities, some physical things that had lent toward him not feeling though. I mean, how many of you, if you're, if you're limping or you have something wrong in your physical man or you're, you're not 100% up to par, you have the same level of confidence you did when you're completely healthy in your body? I think we would all say probably not, right? And so maybe that, maybe that has something to do with it. So I think all of these are really good assessments, but I think sometimes we look through the lens of the Bible and we put it through some sort of perfection and we don't, we, the person's through some sort of perfection and maybe we eliminate the suffering and even the identity that we may all feel with that person and, and we, we don't take that identity and so we feel like we're excluded because we don't have a certain level of, of spiritual signs and wonders and so we step back and just don't enter those arenas until we feel like we have become some version of spiritually qualified. Right? I think all of us probably suffer somewhere or another. I saw another hand. No? Oh, I thought I saw something. Okay. Yes. You just what? Oh, good luck. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think we all do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think so. Yeah. You're <laughs> not a hair out of place, right? I mean, how many is... How oh, of course. I mean, how many of us believe that Jesus always has backlit curls? You know? <laughs> I mean, that's, we all do. We don't picture them with, with sweat and body odor, right? Yeah, we, we picture them all just this, just absolutely perfect. And you know why we do that? It allows us to exclude ourselves. You know, so that's what we're trying to break out of. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> mhm. Sailors, right? Mhm. Mhm. Yep. Right, they're just people. 
Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Is okay. That's good. And that's what, I think that that's what we have to look at here when we, when we look at the Word of God. So when he says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, my speech and my preaching <clears throat> were not with persuasive words of wisdom. So that's, he's saying, I didn't use the powers of rhetoric. But in demonstration of the power of the Spirit. Now, isn't that funny that he chose not to rely on some human Human strength that was regarded by other humans as a strength. Do you know how hard that is to do? When you have a strength, not to land in that strength and use it as, you know, as your hedge. You know, to hedge your bets. Is that not hard? But to completely step away from your strength and say, I'm just going to get out here and I am going to 100% totally rely on God. Now, I like that. I like it because, see, I married a man who was called to be a preacher but had no actual um, natural abilities to be a preacher. And that's not an insult. So many times people are like, oh, that's just rude. That's not rude at all. I mean, it's not rude at all to say. Because when he says, when you say, God called me so that no one else would have any excuse, Right? There is nothing, when God calls you, he equips you. He's not asking for you to bring in all of your qualities and all of your assets and your great portfolio and present that. All that is is you wanting to be you and you wanting to look good all the time. I have found that the most anointed preaching comes from people who have completely rid themselves of the need to look good. Now, I came from a family where women are prized over men. Now, that's not normally the family, is it? But the women were prized over the men. That's just how my family was. It was a matriarchal family. And so that's how we, that's how the structures were set up. And so all the women in my family, they, they prided themselves on looking good. Now, when I started going to a Pentecostal church, I hated it. I came from the Baptist church, and I was 15. I, well, no, it wasn't no makeup in this church. I just didn't like how they acted. Just not dignified enough for me. Because the women in my family, they were dignified. And if they decided not to be, that was their decision. But they were always large and in charge. You know what I mean by that? They made their decision. They sat there, and if you told something to them, and they didn't like it, they let you know. And that's just, and they didn't, they didn't, they wouldn't do anything like this dancing and all that. I, I thought, and, and people raising their hands. I was too arrogant to even raise my hands in church. Arrogant. Because I thought, I don't want to appear weak. You know what I mean? To worship God might make you appear weak. 
And that's ultimately what it was. Because, you know, I could shroud it in dignity, right? But it was, or to do, or to clap your hands. I might get with clapping, you know what I mean? That's pretty easy. That really wouldn't, what, that didn't cost too much dignity to clap your hands. But, you know, to raise your hands, that was an act of surrender. And that cost me some dignity. So I didn't want to do that. Now, I'm 15, mind you, when I come to the Pentecostal church, to the Assembly of God church. And my parents have already started going. And I went a couple of times. I'm like, nope, not for me. Because I came from a church where you only went to the altar if you were bad. And you only had to do it twice. Once to get saved and once to be baptized. That's the only times in your life you're bad. You know what I'm saying? You lack something. Oh, my goodness. Or if you changed churches and you had to want to transfer your membership. But that was like, at the end, everybody knew that you weren't really bad. You were just extra good. Because they told you they want to transfer their membership. And everybody came up and gave you the right hand of fellowship, right? Oh, we didn't have to vote. Thank God. (laughs) So... I'm at this, this is where I was saved when I was 11 in this Baptist church. And, you know, and I'm in this church, and I I love, I'm not saying anything against the Baptist church. I mean, my word, the the word that I know in in the study of the Bible came from my Baptist upbringing. And I learned scriptures, and that's just, their, their systematic teaching of the word of God is second to none. And so it used to be anyway. And so... When I was 15 and my parents started going to the Assembly of God Church and they all loaded up because they used to, you know, my dad got saved and, I mean, we stacked out the Baptist church and it was in revival and, you know, and I just kind of got into a place of dignity. My family went from undignified to dignified. You know, my drug addict dad got saved. He sang in the choir. He did announcements. He was a youth sponsor. The pastor totally did that to keep me under control. But, you know... I knew it. We all knew it. But, you know, so I was, now all of a sudden we were, I mean, we, we participated in the live nativity scene, for goodness sake. Dignified. Those are all dignified things, you know? And so I think it's so funny how the Lord, you know, I go from, because, you know, when I was little, I go from this unsaved, no rules in the Lord, but then how instantly I got on that religious conveyor belt. It wasn't hard at all. Isn't that funny? And I got comfortable in re- what started out in relationship, it just ended up in religion. Isn't that funny? And I was happier there than anywhere. Because I found something I could control. I found something that I could manage and still remain very much me while I had my eternity secure. It was a great costless thing that I had. It was cheap, but it was the price I was willing to pay. I liked it. Maybe some of you understand that. And so when I was 15 years of age, I, uh, maybe what some of you don't know, my, my, my cousin who had a lot of money at the time, she decided that I was growing up a little too hillbilly. I told you women were, you know, certain. So she decided that I was supposed to go to modeling school. Yeah, isn't that funny? I was 15, and she paid for me to go to John Robert Power School of Modeling. I had to go twice a month to Dallas over on Preston Road, and I had to stay all day. They taught me how to walk, how to talk, how to stand, how to sit, how to set a table. It was like finishing school. I learned how to do, how to, 
talk behind the, in front of a camera. And this is really funny. Some of you are like, I had no idea. I could, I did, I learned how to do every, put on makeup, take off makeup. I learned how to fix my hair. I, I mean, it was all six hours a day of scrutiny. You had to go in there and dress. Every time you set, you better be setting right. Isn't this funny? Every time you stood up, you better be positioned right. You better be poised. She paid for all of that. It was expensive for this to get finished. Now, mind you, it's kind of a weird little dichotomy going on. On the weekends, I'm, I'm, I'm coon hunting with my dad. And then we're out in the woods tracking around with Walker coon dogs chasing, you know, and then by morning, I'm sticking on my hose because you had to have hose on at modeling school and heels and the dress and the hair. And I'm going, my mom's taking me to Dallas so I can learn how to be a lady. And I was, you know, I was just out there running around the woods the night before. So... I had this, or chicken fighting. So I had this weird, you know, kind of tension going on. But, you know, but I liked it. I could kind of pivot wherever I needed to. And so I was in church on a Sunday morning. My parents had already gone. They had already gone to the Assembly of God Church, and I was straight-line Baptist, and I was going to stay there for the rest of my life. And this morning I walked in, and I had on a two-piece sailor suit. Yeah. My cousin, who paid for me to go to modeling school, she bought it for me. It had a Neiman Marcus tag in it. It was crepe silk. Now, you have to understand this sailor suit. It had a navy blue bow tie, and it was cream. And it came to right now, you know, I mean, it's probably a size 2, if that lets you know how I'm the same height I am now. I look like a string bean. And so it's, it comes to right here, and then a knife pleat skirt, wherever the tunic of the shirt is two pieces, stops, and the knife pleat skirt goes all the way down, and I have on cream-colored hose, and I have on cream-colored heels. See this? You're, why are you telling me all this? I looked fabulous. <laughs> and I knew it. And so I had to, if you look fabulous, you've got a plan for people to experience you in the best light. So I walked in purposely late for Sunday school, but early for church. You know, I'm planning, fabulous. And so I walk in, and so I go to my, I go upstairs to where my Sunday school would be, and it's up these curving stairs at the Baptist church. And I go up there, and I, my, it's the ending of class, and I'm talking to my teacher, and I'm purposely delaying. What am I delaying for? I want the sanctuary to get full. Because this, this staircase exits on the platform. And so I am going to walk out and let everybody experience my wonderfulness. My 15-year-old wonderfulness. I knew how to descend the stairs. I knew how to walk up the stairs. I knew how to sit. I knew how to stand. I knew how to make introductions and shake hands properly. I'm finished. So I wait. Until I hear the organ. Oh, it's perfect. Time for, it's time for my debut. <laughs> I step on the first step. Because in John Robert Power School of Modeling, you're not allowed to look at your feet when you descend a flight of stairs. That is not proper. Well, common sense says you better be looking where you're stepping, right? But I was doing, you don't hold on to anything. Dear, you can only let your fingers graze. The, you don't grab. That's not nice. You let your fingers graze the banister as you go down. Yeah. Y'all know where this is going. Yeah. <laughs> I step on the front step, the first step, and I think an angel was there and just went. 
Now, this was not a fall. This was a fall that kills people on the movies. I tucked and rolled like a bowling ball. <laughs> a bowling ball. I, and it was a curved, narrow stairwell, and it had a curve around, and it went, I, I mean, all you heard was, and then I, the curve, I made the, I was, the momentum was so strong, I made the curve, and it's, I mean, so I'm making it, the music has stopped at this point, and I am knocked out cold. My head is resting on the bottom step. My sailor suit is gathered up around. My top tunic is up under my arms. And the skirt is made into a belt. And I'm still a very tall gal, you know? And I, it's just this little landing, like a closet that you walk into and there's stairs. I've got one leg up one wall and the other leg up the other wall. And I am out cold. And so I come to, and everybody in the church has rushed the platform, and all the pastor, the deacons are all around me, you know, they're all gray heads, and they're like fanning, no one's even decided to cover me up. <clears throat> I'm totally exposed, and they just, I finally, I come to, and I'm like, I'm so humiliated. My grand entrance is foiled. I don't even stay for church. I walk home. It's a mile to my house on gravel roads. By the time I got home, the heels of my pumps that I bought at Lord & Taylor chewed to pieces by the gravel. And so I went home, and I was just stunned at how, what a ridiculous spectacle I had made of myself. And so the next Sunday, when it was time to get up and go to church, I went to the Assembly of God Church. And I have been Assembly of God ever since. So I tell you that to say this. I mean, you can bring your pride and all of your assets in, but they are of no use to God. And he does, you will humble yourself under the mighty hand of God or he will humble you. Yes. In a haughty spirit before a fall. I have said that so many times. And I told Mike, I said, aren't you glad that I fell down the Baptist stairs? He said, why? I said, are you be a Baptist pastor today? <laughs> oh, Lord. So I say that when I look at Paul and he says, I come to you. <clears throat> I've come to you in fear and in much trembling. I have, I'm not saying it's always been easy. <clears throat> because I didn't from that time just go, and now I'm Pentecostal, woohoo. <clears throat> so see, I was that. I was still that person in the Pentecostal church. And I saw people worship, you know, extraordinarily, and that was not for me. I sort of compartmentalized it. But you know what? As I journeyed with the Lord, he kept just drawing out of me what was in me. And I would hate to think. I mean, I wouldn't talk in church. What am I? I had a pastor one time. We were already pastoring a church. He said, Andrea, stand and testify. I looked at him and I said, No. He's from the platform. He said, no. You just told me no. I said, I did, and don't call on me again. Didn't I? Yeah, he, I wasn't one to be messed with. So, so, so the Lord knew. The Lord knew. 
I didn't want ever to be out of control. Now, I know you're probably seeing a different version. You know what I mean? I mean, now, now I'm the person who stands up on the front pew. And I wonder myself why I do that. But I just don't care anymore. You know, you, I've so left behind those, those rags of pride because that's all they are, are rags of pride. And they're so, to be so self-protecting and so afraid of how you present yourself to someone else. I would rather look like a fool in your eyes or in someone else's eyes and for you to maybe be touched with the Spirit of God than for me to be thought of as the most dignified person in the room and you go out unchanged. Does that make sense? So I want, I mean, I have through, and I'm not saying this is something that happened overnight. It has been years of surrender on another level and on another level and on another level to what I say, God, if you want something done, I'm your person. But that's hard to get to. I mean, I told the Lord one time, I was reading the Bible and I was reading about the two sons, the younger son who said he would do everything and did nothing. And the older son, who said he, would do, he wouldn't do it, but he always wound up doing it. And I said, Lord, I'm the older son. I always say I won't, but you always know I do. And the Lord instantly spoke to me. He said, both are exasperating. I was like, whoa. He said, both are exasperating. Both are tiring. They tire me. They frustrate my purpose. And I said, Lord, I'm sorry. I thought it was better to be the older son. Well, it might be in the long run, but you're still not usable because you're just not pliable. And so I said, Lord, if you're reaching for an instrument, check for me. I'll be a fool. I will be whatever you need me to be to get the job done. And I won't think about how I look doing it. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not telling you, I'd be a fool to tell you that there are some times on a Sunday morning, I, just, I would much rather be dignified. In my mind, you know what I mean? In a moment. I mean, I'm thinking dignity would be greater than to jump up on a pew. Right? And maybe some people, you're like, this doesn't bother me. It wouldn't bother me at all. But then afterward, you know, you're like, why do you have to be such an idiot? Why can't you just behave? How many of you preachers have ever, after you've spoken a word, you've, you've rewound a hundred thousand, look at me, a hundred thousand times, and you have just raked yourself over the coals and you have just exploited your... See, this is what, pre this is what preachers don't tell you. I will, because I'll just tell you whatever. That you spend four or five days abusing yourself for what you thought others thought of you. And you know what? Finally, I just came to the conclusion on that is the Lord said, why are you so proud? They don't think that much of you. You're not that important. And so, what I have learned to do 
is in that is I have learned to leave it there. When that moment of, of self, you know what I'm talking about, self-assault starts, the rewind. I say, nope, it is what it is. It's done. I won't give it one minute of performance time in my mind. I let it go. Because if I do, it's an indulgence that I feed, and it never, I never get freed from it. Yep, Keith. Did you want to say something? Oh, I thought you were going to say something. Okay. Oh, it's Tawana. I, I get confused what hands are going up. Hmm. No, all it does is expose that I'm still not dead yet. You know what I mean? Now, I'm not saying for people to be, I think you understand my heart. I'm not saying for people to be demonstrative for the sake of being demonstrative. Because that's carnal as well. But I'm talking about when Paul says this here. He says, I've come to you. And that's something, I, you know, I feel like, I didn't know I was going to go this way this morning. But I feel like if we're asking the Lord to move in the house, who is he going to use to move? And what are you willing to do? What are your margins of comfort? Is it just going to be me and Mike and a few people? You see what I mean? I'm not saying that you have to expect some, some, I'm not talking about even a manifestation, but what level are you going to pony up and say, Lord, use me? How, how, what, what is your level of comfort with the Holy Spirit using you? And what are you willing to do? How are you willing to participate? If he says, I come to you in weakness and fear and trembling, and all I relied on was the demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit, are you willing to put yourself in that paradigm where you have no ability and you just step out and go, Lord, I hope you show up because this is going to be bad if you don't. I've watched Mike do that over and 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 over again. And over. Yes. Mm-hmm. No. That's good. Save from the judgment. Uh-huh. No. And that's what Paul says. See, it's why he said he was in, that's a good point. Don't you think that was part of his fear and trembling? Now, that's a good, very good point, because he stepped out and he did what he needed to do, but he knew they were still going to have their report. Yes. Okay, tell it, Dennis. Come, can you put it on the, people are going to listen to this. And if it, I want, I want, there's going to be a dead space. Here's Dennis Jenkins telling a story. I was making, I was making fun of somebody one time who was literally at the altar dancing around like a chicken. And I looked at them, and in my heart... I said, look at that. That is not God. Next Sunday night at the altar, guess who was acting like a chicken? <laughs> That's exactly right. Man, I like that. Yes. Uh, well, come here. Come on. We got This is Belinda Williams approaching the mic. For the, the stylings of Belinda Williams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So um, this is a long time ago, and I was a new Christian, and I was in a Pentecostal church down oh, off of Wesley. Mm -hmm. It's a little itty-bitty church still there, but now it's changed leadership. And there was a woman, and she used to jerk. She'd jerk. The spirit would hit her, and she'd jerk. And I said, oh, my God. Well, it wasn't but a week, and I got the jerk, and it still hits me. <laughs> But I think what is another thing that we, we let fear come upon us. And God, you know, God has used me in words of wisdom and, and knowledge and different things like that. And the way I got over it was remembering that God will use a jackass. You know, so if he's going to use a jackass, he can use me. Absolutely. And you. That's right. I've told Mike that so many times. Don't worry, Mike. He's, he can speak through a jackass. You're clear. <laughs> it's... Yeah. <laughs> yep. Hey, real fast. Yeah. When you were talking about the two brothers, yep. the problem, they wasn't willing to do what it took to preach the Father. That's right. That's good. Yep. The heart, his heart wasn't right. Oh, that's good. So what? it's all about our heart, isn't it? How we, what we give to the Lord and what we present. Absolutely. Oh yeah, we give like a we give like a dozen signs and wonders that have to come about before we'll ever move, right? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, feathers have to fall, gold dust has to fall. My, you know, could you grow me a third arm? And, you know, I mean, you know what I mean? It's like ridiculous when it really comes down to the fact we don't want to do what God's calling us to do. But I'm telling you, I mean, I'm preempting this because I really feel like God's going to move in the house. I do. And, if I, and I think if we don't cover some of these things with regard to the ministry of the Spirit and when the Spirit begins to move, then I think we kind of get off in, I don't know, you just get a lot of excess and surplus, and then you get people who are just stodgy and just stuck to their pew. Right? And so, and there's nothing that kills a move of God more than your opinions. You know what I mean? Just your old wet blanket opinions. And so we've got to be willing. We've got to be willing. I'm not saying that we just gobble up anything. Because the Bible says try the spirits. And I'm all about that. I am all about that. But we do need to look at our life and say, are we, when I look at my life, do I see a migration of more yieldedness to God? Or have I become more, what's the word I'm looking for? More resistant and just more prideful. There's a word. There's like a vocabulary word I'm searching for. My wheels are turning, but I didn't get enough sleep last night to find it. So is it recalcitrate? Is that the word? That's a good one, right? So stiff and like rigor, spiritual rigor mortis has set in. Yeah, we, we, so, so many times we get so resistant to the things of God because it might cost us a little bit of dignity. And I have observed in my life that dignity is the first to go whenever the Spirit of God really starts moving. I have. I mean, and I'm telling you, this is coming from a gal who prized dignity. I'm not saying you got to be, you know what I mean? Don't be undignified just to be un... I'm, I, hope you're, I hope this is coming through. When we, when we went to... Um, What's that revival? Brownsville revival for the first time. We went on the one-year anniversary, and I hadn't heard anything about it, like nothing. I mean, it's before the days of social media, so not, everything wasn't out there all the time. 
And so we went to the revival. It was 1996 because it started on, G on Father's Day of 1995. So Hannah was a year and a month old. And so we loaded up after Wednesday night of service, and, and Lonnie Harris was our pastor. He said, hey, Mike, Andrea, let's go to Pensacola. You know, this, if you know Lonnie, that's what he does. In a moment, he's ready to just cut and run. And so he said, let's get in the van, and let's go to Florida. We're like, when? He said, tomorrow night. I'm like, okay, let's go. So we get in the van, and we go to Florida. And we're all, there's several people from the church, and we're in two vans, actually. And we're driving to Florida, and I've got a one-year-old and a three-year-old, or four-year-old at this point, and there's other people. And so he, I said, what's going on in Florida? He said, there's a revival. It's been going on for a year. Let's go check it out. Okay, let's go. I've never even seen the ocean at this point in my life. Isn't that funny? And so I'm, I, we're, we're driving down there, and we get to Pensacola, and I'm like, when does church start? He said, well, it starts at 7, but I think we've got to get there around 3. I'm like, what the heck? I said, why? He said, because apparently people stand in line all day in order to get in. I thought, oh, Lord, you should have told me this before. I might have opted out. And so we did. We stood in line, waited. There's people. I'm talking to people in line. They're from, they're from Eastern Europe. Yeah. Guy from the Netherlands is there. I'm like, why'd you come here? For a revival. I'm like, I think I've stumbled onto something big here. And I'm here and I've got this baby on my hip and another little four-year-old running around. The I'm like, wow, this is, this is pretty cool. Okay, so we're standing in line. We go in. There's no place to sit. The first night we made our way to it. And you have to, when, when the doors open, Lonnie said, now I think we got to run and get a seat. I'm like, what? We gotta run and get a seat. And so I take off, and we're like, he's we're running. I got babies and kids, and we're good, you know, say, we get to the front row. We're spreading out on the front row. Lonnie and Carolyn, we got it all, and we're like setting big, you know, the we're all doing the man spread. But then, then there are people, and then pretty soon that all leaves, all that extra room leaves, and we're sitting side, we're like this, strangers all around us. I take my kids to the nursery, and then the service starts, and it's just pretty fair preaching. I mean, nothing to, I'm like, what's going on? People stood in line for this. I mean, it's good preaching. It's not bad. Great music. And then this little 13-year-old girl gets up, and she sings the altar call. 13-year-old. And when she, and I'm like, she's this little old girl. She's not a great singer. She's okay. Every night, for five years. She gets up. Yeah. Her name was Chastity, I think. I know. Come running. Come run. And when she, st when that music, a track, not even a live band, that track started. Everybody's standing. I'm like, this is weird. The power of God would sit on the place. I thought when God started, it felt as though everything inside of me was wrong. Like, all of my performance and all of my religion and everything I thought I had done good, I mean, I felt like I, felt like I was the worst person. Woe is me, for I am undone. I thought, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know. I don't know if I'm saved. And so it's like, it was like everybody just coming to the altar, and you're like, oh, I'm embarrassed to go to the altar, but I'm afraid not to. You know what I mean? I mean, how could I not be saved? That's what you felt like. 
How can I not be saved? And so it's just like everybody's down there, and then they start giving testimonies, and pastors' wives and pastors are going, I, I didn't even know. I've been living a lie all my life. I've been pastoring a church, and I had bitterness and hatred in my heart, and God saved me. All these people, and they're testifying, and they're testifying, and then they, and, I, and everybody's jerking. Oh my Lord, the demonstrations of God were unbelievable. I never, I asked Mike when we were there, I said, this one woman was walking down the hall and she was like, like she was having, I thought she had MS or something. Lou Gehrig's. You know what I mean? And I asked Lonnie, I said, is something wrong with her? He said, no, I think that's part of it. I said, what do you mean part of it? He said, I think that God does that to people. I went, oh no. No, God doesn't do that to people. I'm telling y'all, I wonder what we would do if God showed up and did things that were off our radar. I think that we have to be prepared for that. Because I don't think God is going to move, and I'm not looking for a Brownsville. God's not going to move in time with your preconceived notions. God is going to do what God does. And he is going to, first and foremost, aim everything at offending your flesh. And then he's going to see, he's going to deal with that. I believe in the days that we live, we have to have a sovereign move of God. We have to have a move of God that shakes people out of their comfort. We have to have a move of God that so deconstructs people down to the lowest common denominator of who they are so God can build them back so that they're like Paul and they're willing to say, everything that was gained to me, I count it as loss. I count it as dung. It is so irrelevant and so insignificant compared to the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung. I wonder... Are we ready for a move of God? Or would a move of God run us off? And as I listened to people in Brownsville Revival and they talked about, this is what I'm really looking for is this, this level of transformation. If you're not being transformed under this ministry, it is a waste of my time. And I don't say that against you. I say it against me. That we want a transformational ministry that actually reforms hearts and changes people from an interior place where they don't have to be told how to be good. They demonstrate it. They don't have to be given a set of rules. They are the rule. They, don't, they, have, they burn so bright with passion for the Lord Jesus that wind does not affect them. If all you have is a candle flame, wind will do you in. Just a little bit of a storm will put you out. But if you burn like a raging inferno, all wind will do is infuriate the fire. 
So if a storm, and you're out, check your flame. You're not right with God. Your place of devotion is not passionate. It's cold. But when I, that's how he checks you. He brings the wind. And if it doesn't bring forth a greater fire. See, I say, God, give us people who blaze with your glory. That when the wind comes, all it does is spread the fire. Isn't that what we want? God, set us ablaze. Set us ablaze with passion. Set us ablaze with your glory. Set us ablaze, Lord God, so that when people see us, they say, I want to burn like you. I'm tired of people saying, I came to church, but I found no one different than myself. And what they say, it's just full of a bunch of hypocrites. I want to see people who out serve me. Not because they're trying to serve unto good works, but because there's a servant, a fire of service in them. I want the Lord of the harvest to raise up his laborers. I am so tired in ministry of trying to get people to a signed role and help them do what they need to do, only to find out, oh, I want to get involved in church. And this might chap some of you. It'll be all right, though. I want to get involved in church. Okay, well, come to this class. and You got to do this and this and this and this and this. Okay. What am I supposed to do? I don't know. Do nothing until God sets you on fire and then tell me what you're going to do. You see what I'm saying? If you don't have enough calling and passion in you to do what God has said to do, then set your rear end on a pew until you do, because until you do, you are worthless to me. Oh, because I don't have time to get together all of the stuff you need to do ministry and make you successful. That is no help to me at all. It's like children wanting to be creative. And I've got to get the colors out. And I've got to get the paper out. And I've got to get the this out. And I've got to get the wipes out. And I've got to go, oh, that's so good. You're doing so good. Woo, woo, woo. And all I want those kids to do is put the crap up. They're messy. Do you see what I'm saying? But give me people who come to me and say, God has called me to, you fill in the blank. And I'll say, how are you going to do that? And they don't come to me and go, how am I going to do that? I need this from you and that from you and that from you and that. Yeah, I just want to slap your hand and say, shut up. Go do it. You show me your call. I found somebody who needs this done. We'll do it. Yeah, that's Y'all see what I'm saying? Is this okay? I mean, we got to get to this place where that's what we do, how we do ministry. It's not the pastor, it's my grandfather. And we're all his grandchildren and he's here to indulge us. God raise up labors. Because when God, I read this, it's so good, it struck me. Because when God gets ready to call a Saul of Tarsus, no one can stop him. And if he won't have a Simon the Sorcerer, no money can buy it. God, raise up 
raise up. Raise up. You think that I give this different to my kids? I don't. When Jacob was 12, he was griping about, he was allowed to play bass. You didn't have any talent at the time. He was allowed to play bass on the stage, and people were griping about the music. And he decided he'd gripe too. You know what I told him? Yeah, my 12-year-old. He's in my living room. I said, I'll tell you what, Jacob. You're 12, and you can't play bass. You're no good. You're no good. You could be good if you practice, but you're no good. You don't deserve to be turned up yet because you're only there to get better. And if you think that you have a voice in criticizing how things are done, I'll tell you what you can do. You can take your little 12-year-old rear end and you can sit on a pew and I will pray God will raise up 12 bass players better than you. That's my exact words. And I said, and you will sit there And I said, I don't care what adult you're hearing say this. I said, they're wrong. And I won't have you speaking those words. He said, Mom, thank you. He told me years later, he said, when you told me that, it changed me. It changed me. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're, all, we're always going to be a fool somewhere. And just keep going. Yeah, just keep going. And sometimes the Lord tests us with failure. Do you know that? Sometimes he tests you with failure to see how you'll bear up under it. Because if you're going to quit, you're going to quit anyway. So I'm telling you, we're living in a day where it's time to quit playing church. It's time to be the church. It's time to quit living by some other spirit, human spirit and wisdom. We're closing it all up right here. Some other spirit behind human spirit and wisdom. It's time to rise up and be a person who is called of God, who is appointed by God, who has been appropriated by God, and who has been given the resources via God, not some other human means, and step out and do your job and work because the passion is there, not because some performance mentality, because that won't keep you anyway. It's time to be who you're called to be, and it's time to pick up the sickle, and it's time to harvest. Would y'all agree with that? We are called. Y'all, are, y'all got this thing. I, you know why I have such great confidence in you? Because I have great confidence in God. And I know he wouldn't have brought you here if he wasn't going to put a passionate fire in you that will burn so brightly your family will either want to say, what do you got, or don't get around me, and it'll be one or the other. How many know I'm talking about? And you got to be okay with that. I mean, God, and you know, you asked me the question last week, and I, God gave me an answer about what do you do about people when you got this and demons and, you know, and they want you to do this. You know what the Lord told me to tell you? He said, if they, you tell them, if they're, oh, those demons are able to overpower the Spirit of Christ, then let them have it. You think they are? That's it. We act like demons are stronger than God. 
the spirit of Christ is within us. And I'm not afraid of a devil in hell. I'm not afraid of what man may do. I don't like opposition, but if it takes opposition to get us where we need to go, then bring on the opposition. If we have to have wind to fuel our flame, then God bring the wind, but make us burn in this house in Jesus' name. You're dismissed. I didn't look at my notes at all. Good job. <laughs> I didn't even say one thing in my notes. <laughs> yeah.